All right, uh, my name is Eric Stevens. I serve here as an elder. I want to welcome you this welcome you all this morning. We have a great treat this morning uh, in our guest speaker, uh, Pastor Brian Taylor. Uh, Brian is the uh, pastor of the Every Nation Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, it's a church that he planted eight years ago with his uh, wife, Siobhan. Uh, been married 18 years, has three wonderful children. Uh, thank you for gently reminding me earlier. I'm still there, Godfather. Those presents are in the mail. Um, and also, uh, Brian uh, played football at uh, Vanderbilt University. That's where he and I actually first met, not on the football field, but I was a freshman at Tennessee State University uh, while he was a sophomore at Vanderbilt. And uh, known him throughout the years, him and his wife, and they're genuine people who love God. Uh, he also serves uh, in Cincinnati as the chaplain for the University of Cincinnati football team. That's relevant for you because, as Scott said, the Cougars won yesterday. So right now they're on track to play the Bearcats. So as he's fasting and praying, all of us collectively will be praying against. I'm just saying that's that's normal. And um but really one of the things I, I want to highlight is that uh, Brian and his wife are genuinely authentic people. One of our uh, characteristics here as far as behavior distinctions and values are authenticity. And he is one of the most authentic people that you will meet. And what I mean by that is that he is the same person in here, that he is in the parking lot, that he is at the grocery store. No matter where you find him, he's the exact same person. So without further ado, I want to introduce you all to Pastor Brian Taylor. All right. Well, I do have to confess that I have not been doing a lot of fasting since I've been here in Houston. Uh, maybe that's why I've been eating all that good food, uh, just to not be a spiritual. But I do want to bring greetings to you from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, yeah, there we go. Anybody been to Cincinnati? Okay, a couple of y'all been to Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, certainly just a, a joy to be here. Honestly, it feels like I'm home. You know, this is my first opportunity to actually be here in this, um, this service here today, but I just gotta say this feels like home and I uh, love the worship. I'm glad that you guys put me on mute doing worship because I was singing, and, um, but it is a good thing that the mute button was working in the back. And so um, I, I have to say this, you guys as a church, um, you all have been a blessing. I've heard so many testimonies um, about this church and things that God is doing. I love that Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible uh, church. And, and when I think about all of those things, you guys have not only been a blessing to our spiritual family, we are part of a larger family, Every Nation Ministries, but you've also been a blessing to my own personal family. Uh, for, uh, for a while, years ago, my, my sister actually lived here in Houston, and she was blessed by so many of you. So I am grateful for that. And we've also, my wife and I have enjoyed just really building and getting to know the page, Pastor Chris and Casey. Uh, we've known them for several years, but, you know, here recently, we've really taken steps to really get to know each other on a deeper level. And I'll tell you what, every time I'm around him, I just start thinking, as, you know, so many ideas and dreaming of, okay, this is a great idea. Maybe we could do something like this in Cincinnati. And so I love that. And I feel like one of the ways that God loves his people is by sending good leadership. And I believe that God has loved this congregation well. 
with the leaders that he has placed here. And I'm not just saying that I honestly, um, I genuinely believe that. And, and I have to say, there's a lot of people in this church, or at least a few people in this church that I've had the privilege of getting to know. But I have to say, our, our, my, my longest standing relationship would go with uh, Eric and, uh, and Angela Stevens. I used to know her as Angela Andrews uh, way back in the day. And so, uh, but we, we've got so many different memories and back in <clears throat> um, where we were first, first connecting, and uh, we must have been babies back then. But, but one of the things that I can remember, we actually took a vacation together. Uh, we've done a few times, but one time, before we, any of us had kids, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And uh, it was a, a great time, and it was during a time where that show, 24, was really popular with Jack Bauer. I don't know if any of you guys know about that, but if you have, hopefully you've recovered from your addiction by now. Because the way that the show operates is that you're just glued into the TV. I mean, it was so bad that my wife actually would sneak in episodes um, when she thought that we weren't looking and, and getting ahead. So that was not right. Um, so um, notice I waited till service that she was not here that I said that, by the way. Um, but, but one of the things that I, I, I think about was so masterful about how 24 was uh, written was that it was one of those stories that kept you on the edge of your seat and it brought you into the story. Because there's times where you're, you're, you're watch a story and then you feel like you're brought into the story. And when I think about the way that Jesus Christ taught, Jesus didn't just give us, uh, he didn't just give us principles, but he had a way of telling stories that would bring you into the story. And so today we're going to look at a parable where Jesus tells a story and he brings us into it so much so that my hope today is that we don't just leave out of here with good biblical principles, but we would walk out of here with a sense of urgency. Because in this story in Luke chapter 14, there is a divine invitation that demands a response. And so I want you to turn with me here to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 <clears throat> And we're going to start by looking at verses 16 through 24. I'll be reading from the New American Standard um, Bible. Um, Start at verse 16. But he said to him, this is Jesus speaking. It's all in red. Um, But he said to him, a man was given a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, master, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Let's get back to verse 22 where it says this. What you have commanded, master, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. I'm going to title this sermon today simply this. There's still room. There's still room. And my hope is that that simple statement 
by the time we finish out of here today, would create a sense of urgency and expectation in our hearts. Because there is still room. And you guys are saying, still room for what? You're going to have to stay tuned. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, for the great things that you're doing in this church, in this house, Lord, what you're doing through them. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would continue to um, open our hearts and open our minds, God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the supernatural translator to speak to us what we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Also, I want to give greetings to those who are online as well, and uh, so glad that you are joining us um, online as well. Now, I know over the last few weeks, you all have been in a series looking at parables, and, and this has been, this is really important because this was one of the key ways that Jesus communicated, especially when you look in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus would use parables oftentimes, and, and the thing that was so helpful is that Jesus would take ordinary life. And he would use that to help illuminate spiritual realities. And so he would talk about everything from soil to trees to farming. And he would talk about all these things as a way to help illuminate uh, spiritual realities. But in a sense, not only do you see parables illuminating truth, but parables often also had a, a way of hiding truth. Which is interesting, right? Because you would think that, um, that that parables would make everything very clear, but in some ways that parables would actually hide meaning and the disciples would often have to come to Jesus after he told a parable to ask, what did you mean by that? You know how when you act like you know something but you really don't understand what's going on and then you wait till later when you're in closed doors to say, I had no idea what you were talking about there. That's what would happen with the disciples. And so what this tells us is that how we listen Luke 8.18, right? Be careful how you listen. How we listen matters. You know, there's a a book that, uh, it's a little handy book that I've enjoyed. It's called Preaching the Literary Forms of Scripture by a guy named Thomas Long. And one of the things he says about reading parables is that we have to read them at two levels simultaneously. You have the literal uh, and ordinary level, and then you have the symbolic level. When you're reading. Now, when you're reading a narrative, you don't read narrative symbolically, but when you're reading a parable like Jesus would use, you read those oftentimes both literal and in a parallel fashion. And so Jesus, when he's telling this story in Luke chapter 14, he's connecting with the people on multiple levels. I mean, think about this. He's given a parable of a banquet while sitting at a banquet dinner. If you go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 14, what we find is that Jesus was at the home of one of the heads of the Pharisees. And and while he was there, he began to shake things up pretty quickly. One of the things you'll, you'll, you'll understand about Jesus the more you read through the Gospels, you know, is that when Jesus came into your house, he tended to shake things up and move the furniture around. And Jesus began to challenge some things. First, he healed somebody on the Sabbath, which would have been a no-no. But then Jesus began to challenge the way that people were looking for their place of honor in their seats. And so if you could imagine going to a dinner that was U-shaped, where everybody was kind of sitting in a U-shaped type of dinner, everybody wanted to kind of be at the center because that was the, the kind of important spot there. And what Jesus was doing, he was pulling from Proverbs, actually, and he was challenging them in terms of, don't go and looking for the seat of honor. And then, and then a little bit later on, what he does is he turns to the host of this dinner and he has the audacity to tell the host who not to invite and who to invite. Jesus told him, don't invite these people, verses 12 through 14, but when you throw a dinner, invite the crippled, the lame, the poor, the blind. 
because they don't have no means to repay you. And so when he says this, this resonates with somebody who is at the dinner table. And, and so he, he so resonates with it. He says this in verse 15. He said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so there's this kingdom fulfillment expectation here when it comes to that. And that prompts Jesus to tell this parable there in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16. And when he tells this parable, he says, but he said to him, a man was given a big dinner and he invited many. And one of the things that's important when you're reading scripture is to pay attention to the details. Now, this is not just any old dinner. This is a what kind of dinner? A big dinner, a big, big banquet. And then he's inviting many, which means that this was something that was a pretty big deal. When you have big dinners like that in those days, one of the things that dinners were used for was not just to feed people. It was actually almost a show of your status in the community. Because if you had the who's who coming to your party, you know, then that really meant that you were important. You were somebody. I'm so glad we're not like that today, right? Um, but but we, we, we see that this is what's going on. So we get the sense here that this is a pretty big and important dinner. And, and in verse 17, he says, at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. Now, what you have to understand about these dinners is that there was typically dual invitations that were sent out. The first invitation was our equivalent to save the date. You know, when someone gives you the save the date and, and they're letting you know, hey, there's a dinner or there's a party or there's a reception that you have been invited to. Now, part of the reason why you do that, because if you're throwing the party, what do you need to know? Headcount. Who's going to show up? How many people? I mean, which cow do I need to kill for this party? And so there, there's a dual invitation. And so the first invitation is letting them know that, hey, this is coming. Save the date. Are you going to be coming or not? The second invitation was letting them know, okay, everything is ready now. The food is ready. It's time to eat. And so now when we're looking in this story, the first invitation has already been sent out. Now the second invitation, letting people know that have already committed, by the way, to coming, that, hey, it's ready. So let's look at the responses here, starting in verse 18. It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Verse 20, another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. Now, you look at all of these reasons for people saying they cannot come and um, Really, they're kind of absurd when you think about it. I mean, he's saying, listen, one person saying, I've bought a piece of land and I need to go check it out. I'm sorry, I can't go to your dinner. Now, I know the market's hot in, in Houston, uh, but, but I'm just going to guess that most of you are at least going to go online and check out the property before you buy it. So, so the idea that somebody would buy a piece of property without even checking it out is absurd. And so we're, we're meant to see how silly this is. And then in the very next example, um, you see that, or the very next reason that someone gives is that, hey, I've got five yoke of oxen, and I need to go try them out. So I'm going to go try them out real quick. So I'm sorry, I can't make it. Please consider me excused. And so you, you see there, it's like, okay, why would you get five yoke of oxen without already knowing what you're getting? in the first place. And if it was really that important for you to try them out, you probably could try them out after the dinner just as much as you could before the dinner. But you know what? Another one, excuse. And then the third one is the only one that says, well, okay, maybe this can kind of, you know, kind of go because he says, you know what? 
I've gotten married to a wife. And for that reason, I'm out. You know, Shark Tank reference. But, but, um, but, but, but you know, here's the thing. There was a rule back in Deuteronomy where it said that first year of marriage, you do not go out to war. But going out to dinner and going to war, it's a pretty big difference. And so really when you look at all three of these, 18, 19, and 20, verses 18, 19, and 20, they all boil down to excuses. Now I can relate to this. I was thinking about this when I can remember when I was um, in, in undergrad, I was playing with the football team at Vanderbilt, and I can remember um, our campus minister at the time was saying to me, he's like, listen, we've got some NFL players that love Jesus, and they want to share some things to some of your, your, your teammates. You think you can invite them to come? And I thought, man, this is a great idea. That'd be great. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it was around seven o'clock. I can't remember exactly. It was a few years ago since I was a student. And so um, I, I can remember all throughout practice and throughout the day, I'm inviting, you know, all my teammates and even some people from other teams like, listen, we're going to have something right there in the locker room. It's going to be at seven o'clock. Make sure you come out. And, and of course, everybody's like, what time is it again? Seven? Yeah, I got you. I got you, B. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. Great. And, and so I'd like to tell you that the reason why I was so um, anxious about them coming was because I wanted them to hear the glorious riches of the gospel. That was true, but I also didn't want to look lame because I didn't have any friends. And so I really needed them to show up. My reputation, I felt, was on the line. And so I was trying to invite them. And so as we get close to the time, we're getting close and realizing nobody's coming, nobody's there. Um, by the way, I, I, I didn't shoot a group text out because we couldn't text back then. And so, you know, and so all of this was going on and I'm thinking, okay, guys, it's getting, you know, like, hurry up. And, you know, they start looking at me. And if you've ever been in a moment like that where you are hoping and expecting somebody to come and then somebody looks at you like, hey, um, your, your, your friend's coming? You just feel that embarrassment. You feel that frustration. Like, man, we've got all these people here and they're, they're ready. Where are the people? Now, I can't remember all the excuses that they said, but I do remember that they had some excuses. And, and, and perhaps you've heard excuses like that, especially if you've worked on the college campus. Like, man, I would have come to the Bible study, man, but I got a test next month that I need to get ready for. And, you know, it's really important that I've, I've, I've prepared. I'm like, you don't even study. You know, so, so all these excuses. And so, and so I can relate to how frustrated it must frustrating it must have been for for the host of this party and and but we don't just see his frustration we also see his determination because as we go in verse 21 it says this and the slave came back and reported all this to his master then the head of the household became angry pay attention to the emotions of the master as well he became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Notice he says this, go out at once. There's an urgency. Well, listen, go out and get the blind, the crippled, the poor, the lame. I know it was out of order. But he's saying, go and get all of them and bring them in. Now, remember when I said about these kind of big dinners that they were also an opportunity to kind of show status. But if you want to see your status raised, you don't invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. It almost seems like the host is getting desperate now. It's like, I'm not even going to discriminate whoever wants to, like, go and get them. Just bring them in. And so the slave, he goes and he does that. And verse 22 tells us, when the slave came back, he said, Master, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. This big dinner, this big banquet that you've been preparing, there's still room here. 
And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. He's telling them, listen, go compel them. Don't take no for an answer. Compel them. That's almost, you can, you can almost put that word force. Force them to come in. Let them know that this is important. This is urgent. Compel them to come. Notice that this is not a casual sense that we have here in the text. Well, you know, just let them know that it's going on. Hey, if you're not too busy, please come. No, no, no. That's not the mode. That's not the attitude. There's a compelling. Compel them to come in. And then in verse 24, we're left with uh, a, a bit of a warning. He says this. He says, and those who I invited that didn't come, they're not going to taste of my dinner. So you have this great party, and there's still room, and you have a host that is deeply desiring to see his house filled. Now, mind you, he's telling this parable about a dinner while he's sitting at the dinner table. How many of you guys know that he's connecting with them on a very practical level? But the thing about, um, the thing about parables is that parables are not meant to just be understood at the practical, literary, ordinary level, but there's also symbolic meaning attached to it as well. In other words, Jesus is not simply trying to teach them about dinner etiquette. This is not just, hey, here's how you throw a party. These are the people you need to throw it to. No, no, Jesus is helping them to understand something much greater in terms of an invitation that has been sent out by a great king and a dinner that we have been invited to in the kingdom of God. How do you know that, Brian? Well, all throughout this passage, we are given clues to let us know that Jesus is talking about so much more than just a dinner. We see in verse 14, after he told them who to invite at the dinner table, he says, you will be blessed because they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now that resonated with the people who were there because you see that in verse 15, that the response is, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. They already understood a kingdom reference to a banquet. Mind you, Jesus is at the house of one of the Pharisees. Unlike the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection from the dead. So there was a kingdom expectation of a banquet that was going to take place where they would all sit together with all the saints of old. And so that gives us the framework that Jesus is talking about something a little bit deeper. There is a kingdom invitation that has been given. When I look here in the story, I believe that this invitation has gone out, and there's some groups of people in here that I want to speak to, and some groups of people who are watching online that I want to speak to, that I believe God has given a very unique, special, personal invitation to. And so the first invitation, the first group that I believe the invitation has gone out to are those who are not working. That seems kind of strange to say, those who are not working. But if you look in this story, there's a character here in this story that can easily get overlooked. It's the servant. Now, some of your translations will say servant, but if you actually look at the word doulos, it means bond slave. A bond slave is somebody who has willingly given up their rights for the rights of the master, for the desires of the master. Now their life is lived for the purposes of their master. And what you see here is you see the servant, the slave, being sent out by the master on three different occasions. Now, notice you don't really get a lot of pushback or argument from the slave. You get obedience from the slave. 
Why is that? Because the slave is meant only to fulfill the desire of the master. And so if we look at our lives, we have to be able to identify, hey, are we working towards the purposes of our master? It's not just good enough to say, well, hey, I got a seat at the table. I don't know about y'all, but I got my ticket. You know, y'all can stay where you're. No, no, no. It's not good enough to do that. We have to have a sense of urgency where he told him, he said, go and compel them to come in. And so if you're someone today that's saying, you know what, I, I've, I've been just chilling. I've, I've got my ticket punched to heaven, but I don't have an urgency when it comes to helping bring other people into the kingdom. There is an invitation to join God in his work. You know, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, um, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of God, be reconciled, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen to that. We beg you. This is not like, hey, you know what? If you want, take it or leave it. Paul understood this. He was like, listen, God's desire, um, and he, he wasn't using this language in this passage, but God's desire is for his house to be full. He has created, uh, there, there's a dinner prepared, and he is desiring for people to come to it. So I am begging you, be reconciled to God. You know, I was uh, sharing the story um, earlier, but, you know, I can remember one time when we were heading back to uh, Virginia. Virginia is where I'm from. We were living in Cincinnati, we were living in Cincinnati but um, it's about an eight to nine hour trip plus three kids I got, so go ahead and add about an hour to that. And, and I can remember uh, we were almost home and we were hungry, so we figured, you know what, let's stop and get something to eat. So we stop at Place Bojangles, um, and, and my wife, she loves eating wings, and so we decide, she decided to get like this 10-piece box of wings, and, and so we get it and we pull off. I'm just ready to get home. I've been on that road for eight hours. And so she, she counted the wings, and she's like, one, two, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hold up, we just we just ordered a ten piece. Let's let's do that count one more time. Uh, one, two, and we realized that hey, they only gave us nine wings on a ten wing order. You know, in, in my my eyes, you know, there's times where you just have to say, you know, we're going we're just going to take that loss. We got to take that L. You know, because it's, it's late, I'm tired, I want to go home. But um, not Ms. Siobhan Taylor. What she, what she said is, no, we're going we're gonna to go back and we're going to fight. We're going to contend. That's Jude, right? Jude 3. We're going to contend for that wink. And so we, sure enough, drove back, had to wait in line, by the way, and she got her wing. She got her one. They, now, they were being smart with her. They just gave her one wing in a box and said, oh, here, take it and leave it. You know, and I think about, man, you know what? What in the world would cause us to have to, to, to go back and get the wing? It's because we paid for 10. And all she wanted was all she paid for. Why do you think it's so important that we go contend for the souls of people? Why do you think it's important that we have an urgency in compelling them to come to this dinner table? What is it that Jesus really wants? All Jesus wants is all he paid for. And you know what he paid for? 
He, he lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died in our place. He not only died for us, but he died as us. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. And you know what? That, that, that resurrection is almost like the approved sign that comes up when you take the, when you're, when you're purchasing something and it says approved. That's what the resurrection was. It vindicated the death of Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus wants is what he paid for. So if we are people that are part of the family of God, there ought to be an urgency to say, no, 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 no. We're going to contend for the faith. There are people that God has invited to the table that haven't been brought in yet. So I am going to go to the highways, to the byways, or, or maybe just across the city of Houston, or maybe just across the street. And I'm going to try to compel people to come into a kingdom of God because God has paid the price for you to come in. So there's an invitation for those of us who are not working. But there's an invitation not only to those who are not working, but there's also an invitation to those who are not willing. When we get here to verses 18 and 19, I want you to pick up on something. When you're looking at, listening to the excuses here uh, of the people who are invited, it says, they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And then in the next verse, when you have the five yoke of oxen that he needs to go and try, you know what he says at the end of verse 19? Please consider me excuse. Do you notice how polite that sounds? That's very reverent and respectful, isn't it? No, I'm not going to come to the invitation, but please consider me excused. You know it's possible to be polite and rebellious at the same time. It's possible to be polite to God and still reject his invitation. And, 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 and so there's a, there's a, there are people that it's not that they are so busy. They are making excuses because they are not willing. What causes us to not be willing? Sometimes it's not outright rejection. Sometimes it's just, we're so overwhelmed with our own life and our own things and our own agendas that we really don't have time to get super caught up. And we can be religious and we can be polite towards God and at the same time say, no, thank you, God. No, thank you, God. It's kind of like that ringer when you have notifications coming up and you get tired of hearing notifications and then you just turn it off. Sometimes we can be like that with God, right? It's like, God, I just don't want to hear the notifications. You ever been sending somebody a text and they had never responded, then you walk into them in person? It's like, oh, you, you, you sent something. It was like, yeah, oh, I must have not had your name saved. And then you look and on their phone, it's like, yeah, right there where it says Brian Taylor. Um, <laughs> that, that's me. You know, it's like, so sometimes we can find ourselves doing that. But there's a sense here that um, there are people who are not willing. And here's the thing about invitations. They have an expiration date. Because if you fail to respond by a certain date, then you've basically given a response. And I want to let you know, perhaps you're saying, well, maybe not yet, not yet. I'm, you're being polite towards God, but you're not, you're not willing yet. You're not willing. Let me just let you know, we are not guaranteed any time. And so there ought to be a sense of urgency of the invitation has gone out. Are you going to be willing to respond? Because the, in, the expiration date is coming. We don't know when that expiration date is, but there will be a time where the invitation no longer stands. And so let's take heed. And so... There's an invitation sent out to those who are not working and, and those who are not willing. But I want to speak to this last group of people perhaps you identify with. It's those who are not worthy. You know, when Jesus tells this parable about inviting the, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor, 
You know, he mentioned that a little bit earlier in, in, in verse 13 and 14 when Jesus was telling them who to invite when you throw a banquet. Now, he said this before he even started the parable. He's telling them who to invite. He says, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Now, verse 14 gives us the reason why. And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. Here's the thing about the, 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 the crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor. I think I do it in a different order every single time I say it, don't I? I'm sorry. You guys have to just read. But, but, but here's, here's the thing is that they don't have anything to repay him with. And then in the parable, the host invites those very people. And some of us, we can identify with what it means to be someone who is not worthy because you look at your life and you say, I have nothing to pay God with. Now, I realize perhaps for some of you, you realize, you, you've, you've grown up and you've been really good your whole life and you've been special. And, 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 and if God was throwing a party, of course he would invite you. Right? Because you're special. But perhaps some of you can relate to how um, the, the, the crippled and lame, the poor and the blind could have felt because they had nothing to offer. They had nothing to bring to the table. People like me don't get invited to parties like that. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I am inviting the crippled. There's an invitation that has gone out, even to those who don't feel like they're worthy, which is why I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when uh, he's speaking here in verse 9. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul is not having false humility here. Like, I'm really kind of good, but I'm going to act like I'm not. No, no, no. He realized who he was without God. Listen, I'm not worthy to be even called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Some of us identify with verse 9 more than we care to admit. I don't, I don't even deserve. Do you know the background that I came from? Do you know what, what, what I've, I've, I've dealt with in my life? Maybe you've grown up in the wrong neighborhood. Maybe you don't know much, as much about the Bible as the next person does. Maybe you feel like I'm still kind of on the outside. You ever been in a room where you feel like I'm the person that really didn't belong and everybody else knows each other? Maybe you feel like that when it comes to the kingdom of God. But I want to let you know that there is a mandate on this house where God has given the people here to invite them into a kingdom relationship. And God is saying, listen, I don't care if you feel like you're not worthy. You worthy because of me. And it doesn't stop with verse 9. Can everybody say praise God for verse 10? Here's what it says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know what? You might have been crippled and maybe not physically crippled. You might have been crippled in your soul or you might have been crippled because of a relationship or whatever has happened in your past. And God is saying, you know what? Whatever it is that may have made you feel like you are not worthy, I want to let you know that you're invited to the party as well. Because by the grace of God, we can all say, I am what I am. It is God's grace that has saved us. It is God's riches at Christ's expense that has allowed us to be brought into a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, it was mentioned a little bit earlier that I had a chance to, I have a chance to, to work with um, the, the student athletes over at University of Cincinnati. I actually probably would have been in um, uh, South Florida uh, this weekend. And, and uh, one of the, the opportunities that I have um, to encourage them is I'll, I'll go to the sidelines sometimes and, and, and just 
you know, yeah, I don't really do much. You know, I'm just standing on the sideline, just ain't but so many hand claps you can give, you know, you know, on the sideline. But, but what happens is when you go to a game, you know, you, you, you are given a, a pass, you know, or I'm given like a little pass and it looks like this. I just kind of put it on right here and that gives me access. And so when I walk in, there are certain points and barriers where you have people who are security because they'll let you know, listen, you can't go beyond this point. Now, what I do is I just show them, I'm like, you know, I let them see it. And they're like, okay, you can go and come in. Now, they don't know me from Adam. They don't know me from anybody. But here's what they assume. They assume when they see this pass that somebody who's in authority has given, you, has given me access. So even if they don't know me, the pass says he's been given access to come in. And so I get to each barrier, I'll get into this next place, and they're like, nobody can come past this point. And I'm like, just kind of point towards this. Uh, if you can't see me on camera, I'm, I point towards this pass, and they say, all right, go on, come on in, come on in. And, and I keep doing that at each stage, and it lets me know that I've got access where otherwise I wouldn't have access to. Can I tell you, friends, can I tell you, brothers and sisters, there's something so much greater than a football game that God has invited us to? that God has given us access through the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.13 lets us know that we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What that means is that it's not really about you in the first place. There is a banquet that God has prepared, and we look and we say, but, but I'm not worthy, and, and, and I've got a past. But guess what we do? We say, but the blood. And then they say, well, you know what? You've got access. And because here's the good news is that God has said the cripple, the blind, the, the, the lame, maybe we say those who have come from, you know, illicit past and those who have different things and doubts that you've wrestled with in the past and those who haven't known as much as other people because you didn't grow up in Sunday school and all those people, I want to let you know that you are made worthy because I've given you access. I've given you access to come in. And so there's a divine invitation that God has sent out. And I don't know where you might identify in. Maybe none of those categories, but perhaps some of you would say, I'm not working. I've not been working. I love that, that, that slogan here. It says, participation is greater than observation, meaning that God has not just called you to observe as the kingdom, as the world goes by, but you are called to participate. Well, I, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor. It doesn't matter. No, you know, I tell this at my church. Not everybody is called to be a doctor, but everybody can learn CPR. Not everybody is called to be a pastor or a theologian, but everybody can learn the basics of the faith. God can use you right where you are. Some of you would say, well, you know what? I've not been willing. I've been really polite towards God, and I've even been somewhat religious towards God, but I've been rejecting God's invitation. Today is a day. Don't let the expiration date run out. Some of you have been living maybe in a little bit of self-loathing and saying, well, I'm not worthy. Perhaps you feel like damaged goods today. People like me don't get invited to dinners like that. I don't want to let you know, but the blood, but the blood. I know that I'm not worthy, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. There's still room and there's still time. If you are hearing my voice right now, that means that there is still time to respond. God has prepared a banquet. He has prepared a place for you in his kingdom. He's prepared a place for you in, 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 in his heavenly banquet. But you got to respond to this invitation. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, that you did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. 
God, I pray that for those of us in here today that maybe find ourselves sleeping, we find ourselves not responsive to the divine invitation. God, today I pray that we would hear your invitation loud and clear. Wherever we identify ourselves, whether we're not working, whether we've not been willing, whether we've not felt worthy, God, I pray, God, that we would hear your divine invitation and we would not be like those who made excuses, but we would respond. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. Help us to extend this invitation to those that you died for. In Jesus' name, amen.